Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, here's here's something nutty. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has long worked to manage waterways and protect communities from flooding. Doing so historically by relying on man-made structures like levees and dams. But the Corps has also started investing in nature-based solutions to provide protection from rising seas and increasingly extreme weather. This is from a place on the internet called Yale Climate Connections. So, moving away from, say, a traditional levee system or a flood wall to look for opportunities where nature can offer the same level of engineering protection and reduced risk. That's a quote from Jeffrey King of the Army Corps' Engineering with Nature program. Yes, you are dreaming. No, you're not. In Florida, New Jersey, and elsewhere, the agency is using dredged sediment to re-establish dunes and replenish beaches. King says it can help protect coastal communities from rising seas and storm surge. And along the Missouri River, sorry, the Missouri River, the Corps is partnering on a project to move a levee so that it's set farther back from the river, which gives the river more room to expand. That will provide wildlife habitat and reduce flood risk to nearby areas. Quote, So in many ways, we look to nature to offer us opportunities to increase resilience. Unquote. Jeffrey King of the Army Corps Engineering with Nature program. It is what outside observers have begged the Corps to do for years. And it's here. Hello, welcome to the show. Dos 
outros vim pra samba, meu samba torto. Quero ser feliz De todo Se arrime, escapuli Eu não morro Faço samba mesmo assim Ah, no duro Não vou chorar a dor Dos outros Vim pra samba Meu samba todo Não vou chorar a dor dos outros vim pra From Santa Monica, California, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. Maybe that's not enough said. Microplastics have gotten to pristine coral reefs. They're not pristine anymore, obviously. This brought home by researchers from the Centre Scientifique de Monaco, thank you, and the International Coral Reef Center, the Republic of Palau. Palau, wow! In a recent study published in the journal PLOS 1. The researchers wondered whether microplastics were present on and around the islands of the Palau Archipelago, or Archipelago, a series of about 340 islands in the northwestern Pacific. This archipelago is remote and far from most urban locations and pollution sources, therefore, both some of the most pristine coral reefs in the world, or it did. Researchers found that microplastics and microfibers were present in all the samples they analyzed. Far from being protected by their relative isolation, the Palau Islands harbored plastic pollution in their reefs, beaches, and surrounding seawater. Researchers were surprised as well to find the presence of nanoplastic particles in all their samples. That's smaller than micro. The nanoplastics more abundant than the microplastics, despite the fact that the equipment used was not designed to trap nanoplastic particles. So their abundance would uh, have been greatly underestimated. These findings indicate that pollution from microplastics and microfibers is ubiquitous in marine environments. Pristine reefs in remote areas are not protected 
from this phenomenon. Researchers state that microplastic pollution of ecosystems depends more upon the movement of water currents than on proximity to man-made stuff. They expect microplastics are likely to uh, affect the health of sediment-dwelling organisms as well as filter feeders like your corals. Plastic pollution in the reef waters and sediments of Palau, which is not a hot spot of human activity, needs to be considered in future studies, especially during heat waves, which in combination with plastic pollution can particularly affect coral reef organisms, according to the authors. Not from The Guardian. No, sorry, not from Earth.com. Not from Jupiter.com. And this from the Guardian: Microplastic contamination has been reported in in beef and pork, for the first time, as well as in the blood of cows and pigs on farms. Yes, it's time for uh, plant-based meat, isn't it? Uh, scientists at the Virgi University Tight University Tight, yeah, that's what it says of Amsterdam in the Netherlands found the particles in three-quarters of meat and milk products tested, three-quarters, and every blood sample in their pilot study. The um, traces were also found in every sample of animal pellet feed tested, which indicates a potentially important route of contamination. The food products were packaged in plastic, which is another possible route. Researchers at the institution reported microplastics in human blood for the first time in March, and they used the same methods to test the animal products. Hopefully the humans weren't kept in the same. Uh, the discovery of the particles in blood shows they can travel around the body and may lodge in organs. The impact on human or farm animal health is as yet unknown. But researchers are concerned because microplastics can cause damage to human cells in the lab and air pollution particles are already known to enter the body and cause millions of early deaths a year. Some wildlife is also known to be harmed by microplastics. Huge amounts of plastic waste are dumped in the environment, of course, as we all know. Microplastics have contaminated the entire planet now from the summit of Mount Everest to the deepest of oceans. People were already known to consume the tiny particles via food and water as well as while breathing them in. Quote, when you're measuring blood, <laughs> you're finding out the absorbed dose from all those different exposure routes, air, water, food, etc., said uh, the chief researcher. So it's very interesting, she continues, because it immediately tells you what's penetrating into the river of life. The river of life, ladies and gentlemen. Wouldn't want to swim in it. And now, news of the warm. Some good news, some bad news. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen. First, the good news, and yes, there is good news about wildfires, ironically enough. When smoke from the 2019-2020 Australian wildfires billowed across the Southern Ocean, 
the iron-rich particles it deposited on the ocean triggered an algae bloom bigger than Australia. Think about that. And not a didgeridoo, no. And it had a rapid and prolonged impact on the Southern Ocean's marine ecosystem and its carbon cycle. In a new study led by the Marine and Arctic Studies part of the University of Tasmania. Scientists found that the iron from the devastating wildfires was recycled inside that algae bloom, allowing it to survive for an unprecedented nine months. That unexpected iron boost also triggered distinct physiological responses in phytoplankton cells. Those are the microscopic microscopic drifting plants at the base of the ocean's food chain. Quote, the southern ocean plays a vital role in the global carbon cycle. It's responsible for almost half the annual transfer of carbon from surface waters to the ocean's abyss, said the lead author of the study. Continues, phytoplankton have a key role in this transfer through a process called the ocean's biological carbon pump, which captures and shuttles carbon into the deep ocean, in sinking oceanic plants and animals. The problem is that phytoplankton need iron to thrive, and the Southern Ocean is deficient in this essential micronutrient, so its biological carbon pump is not as effective as it could be, and that's where the wildfire ash and desert dust come into play, said the researcher. He continues, we know wildfire ash and mineral dust are rich in iron, and as we saw after the recent wildfires, phytoplankton growth is stimulated when these particles are deposited on the ocean surface. But the full impact of this on marine ecosystems has not been measured until now. Unquote. The intense single iron fertilization event from Australia's wildfires was an opportunity for scientists to study the phytoplankton's response to wildfire emissions and emission and its ability to survive on its own recycled iron. Quote, we used observations from satellites to study this and found that phytoplankton cells became richer in pigments and more efficient in their photosynthesis, said the researcher. Just like plants on land, phytoplankton absorb CO2 and produce oxygen during photosynthesis. And when that process is more efficient, so is the biological carbon pump. Phytoplankton blooms don't usually survive longer than a few weeks. That's why they seem in such a hurry. So the duration of this bloom was astounding and has rarely been observed before on such timescales. That's according to one of the other authors. Authors of the study, the team found that the phytoplankton bloom outlasted the wildfires by almost half a year surviving through extended periods when iron was only sporadically supplied by wildfire emissions and mineral dust. Quote, the iron sustaining the bloom came from iron recycling, which occurs when iron is released back into the water when a phytoplankton cell dies to reabsorbed by new cells. The bloom's ability to reuse its own iron for such a long time was likely due to its vast size. So maybe Australia can recycle its own iron. Its vast size, I say, which slowed down the loss of internally recycled iron at the bloom edges, and this was helped by occasional ash and dust deposits. The researcher, uh, that's an unquote, the researcher said the events showed how quickly the southern iron's carbon pump 
responds when iron reaches it in large quantities and is spread over a significant area. Importantly, it confirms the vital role the Southern Ocean and its plant life play in the global carbon cycles. This study was published in Geophysical Research Letters. So, maybe we need the wildfires? The world cannot adapt its way out of the climate crisis. That's the bad news. Counting on adaptation to limit damage is no substitute for urgently cutting greenhouse gases. That's the warning from a leading climate scientist, Catherine Hayhoe, chief scientist for the Nature Conservancy in the U.S. and professor at Texas Tech, said the world is heading for dangers unseen in the 10,000 years of human civilization. Efforts to make the world more resilient were needed, but by themselves could not soften the impact enough. Quote, people do not understand the magnitude of what is going on, she said. This will be greater than anything we've ever seen in the past. Every living thing will be affected. This will be unprecedented. While countries can start to adapt to some of the impacts, for instance, with seawalls and flood barriers, and by making infrastructure more resilient to extreme weather, if global global hoating, or global heating, as I call it, is allowed to continue, then the world will rapidly reach a point beyond that which can be adapted to. Quote, the scientist, Dr. Hayhoe, there's no adaptation that's possible. You just can't. These impacts would be felt across the world, she says, speaking with The Guardian. Our infrastructure, worth trillions, built over decades, was built for a planet that no longer exists. Allowing greenhouse gas emissions to continue to grow would mean ever-rising impacts and costs. The whole of human life modern life was at stake, she added. Well, it's just modern life then. We could go back to, you know, prehistoric times. That would kind of be cool. Don't have to look at cartoons of it. We could live it. News of the Warm, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, speaking of modern life, News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Eversol III. Well, we keep hearing about the um, the added value that hosting the Olympics brings to a host city. Here's a contrary report from Reuters. The Eiffel Tower in Paris is riddled with rust and in need of full repairs. Instead, it's being given a cosmetic $63 million paint job ahead of the 2024 Olympic Games in Paris. That's according to confidential reports cited by the French magazine Marianne. The wrought iron 1,063-foot-high tower built by Gustave Eiffel See, in the late 19th century, is among the most visited tourist sites in the world, welcoming about 6 million visitors a year. However, confidential reports by experts cited by Marianne 
suggests the monument is in a poor state, riddled with rust. Quote, it is simple. If Gustav Eiffel visited the place, he would have had a heart attack, said one named manager at the tower. Company that oversees the tower, Société d'Exploitation de la Tour Eiffel, could not be immediately reached for comment or even pronounced correctly. The tower is currently undergoing a repaint, costing $63 million in preparation for the games. For the 20th time, the tower has been repainted. Some 30% of the structure was supposed to have been stripped and then have two new coats applied, but COVID delays and the presence of lead in the old paint means only 5% will be treated, according to the magazine. The uh, organization that runs it is reluctant to close the tower for a long time to do the uh, proper job because of the tourist revenue that would be lost. And besides, it has to be ready for the Olympics. That's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. Now, backstage at the White House, right after this week's big speech on the necessity for responding to the Supreme Court's voiding of Roe versus Wade. And that's a hard wrap. We're done. We're done, Mr. President. Mm -hmm. Looked great. Sounded great. Yeah, yeah. I got most of the words right the first time. Felt good. Your eyes looked great. We finally kicked the squinting thing. Oh, I'm sorry I resisted for so long, Daphne. Uh, enlarging the prompter letters really was the deal. Look, I understand the, the power of habit. No, I think the tests with the larger letters was way overdue. Convinced me in the first five minutes, so... Well, I know you're scheduled up the wazoo, but... I think I've got a few get-out-of-makeup minutes. Well, I can do it right here. Mm -hmm. Is there any way, as your director, I can help you with our other little problem? Oh, I didn't touch my face this time, did I? A few times. More than two? Less than a dozen. Oh, that's so frustrating. I start reading the speech and think about that damn court, and I forget about my face. Both sides? Yes, sir. Mm. I know we talked about this before, but is there itching near your eyes and your mouth? Because No. No itching whatsoever. You've said it yourself from the booth. It doesn't look, even look like I'm scratching. No, no that's right. Mm -hmm. It's much gentler than scratching. In fact, that's it's the gentleness that makes it so distracting. What was I saying when I was doing it? That's what I mean, sir. I don't remember what you were saying. Yeah, I get it. I really do get it. I get it. We need something that... That will warn you when your hand starts moving up towards your face. Mm -hmm. Maybe go back to... Uh, Trying the warning tone in your ear. Oh, I hated that. Totally distracting, and, and as I recall from watching the tapes, it just made me squint harder. All right, sir. We'll, we'll keep thinking. Me too. Me too. The sky was blue. 
and high above the moon was new and so was love this eager heart of mine is singing lover where can you be you came at last love had its day that day is past you've gone away this eager heart of mine is singing lover come back to me i remember every little thing you used to do i'm so lonely every road i walked along i walked along with you no wonder i feel lonely the sky was blue the night was cold the moon was new but love was old and while i'm waiting here this heart of mine is singing lover come back to me From Santa Monica, California, this is Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, News of the Godly. How do you uh, get close to Supreme Court justices and influence their opinions? Or you pray your way in. This is from Politico. The former leader of a religious right organization said he recruited and coached wealthy volunteers, including a prominent Dayton, Ohio evangelical couple, to wine, dine, and entertain conservative Supreme Court justices while pushing conservative positions on abortion, homosexuality, gun restrictions, and other issues. Rob Schenk, an evangelical minister who headed the Faith and Action Group, headquartered near the Supreme Court until 2018, from the mid-90s, said he arranged over the years for about 20 couples to fly to Washington to visit with and entertain Supreme Court Justices Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, 
and the late Antonin Scalia. Sheikh was once an anti-abortion activist, broke with the religious right in the last decade over its support for gun rights, said the couples were instructed before the dinners to use certain phrases to influence the justices while steering clear of the specifics of cases pending before the court. For example, to talk about the importance of a child having a father and a mother rather than engage in the particulars of a gay rights case. We would rehearse lines like, quote, we believe you are here for a time like this, which is a reference to the Old Testament book of Esther, Shank said. He said the goal was to create an ecosystem of support for conservative justices as a way of making them more forthright in their views. The previously undisclosed initiative by Faith in Action and Action illustrates the extent to which some Supreme Court justices interacted with advocates for the religious right during a period when the court grappled, <laughs> grappled, I say, with social issues such as abortion and gay rights. The calculated nature of Faith and Action's efforts show how outside actors can use social activities and expensive dinners to penetrate the court's highly sealed environment. Shank's organization, Faith in Action, became a part of Liberty Council in 2018. It's now known as Faith and Liberty. Its, its vice president, Peggy Neenaber, was quoted earlier this week as praying with Supreme Court justices in a recording posted on YouTube and record, reported by Rolling Stone. Schenck told the magazine that he began the prayer sessions as a way of building rapport with conservative justices. Schenck pointed to one prominent evangelical couple, Don and Gail Wright of Dayton, Ohio, as major funders of the group. They established uh, the group established an office directly behind the Supreme Court building. Well, you can walk to it. Don Wright became wealthy through his furniture business. Schenck said that in addition to making regular donations to Faith in Action, the Wrights financed numerous expensive dinners with Thomas Alito and Scalia and their wives at Washington, D.C. Hotspots. It's not just Hollywood that has hotspots, ladies and gentlemen. Schenck said he met the Wrights at Faith Baptist Church in Sarasota, Florida, where he was a guest pastor, and they attended while staying at their vacation home. He said the Wrights had strongly conservative views on abortion, homosexuality, and gun rights had dedicated themselves to reinforcing the court's justices' own conservative views on the issues. They were the most active of the roughly 20 couples involved in the program that Faith in Action called Operation Higher Court, according to Schenck. All the couples, quote, knew they were being coached and adhered to a casual reporting procedure, unquote, in which they offered feedback on their dinner dinners with the justices and their wives, according to Schenck. Those were not reported as gifts by the justices. Of course, they don't necessarily have to. They make their own rules to the, to the justices of the Supreme Court. There are few public references to Faith in Action's work with the judiciary. A 2001 article in a Christian magazine, Charisma, described the group's Operation Higher Court as offering prayer and ministry to the Supreme Court justices. The Supreme Court 
continued the article, is the most insulated and isolated branch of the U.S. government. They quoted Schenck as saying, they do not interface with the public, so we've literally had to pray our way in there each step of the way, unquote. Meanwhile, as the uh, newscasters like to say, Pope Francis said he hoped the recent sale of a luxury London building at the center of an ongoing corruption trial meant the Vatican may be getting to the end of financial scandals. This also from Reuters. Vatican finances were one of the many church and international topics the pontiff discussed in an exclusive interview with writers at his Vatican residence this week. The interview took place a day after the Vatican announced it had completed the sale of the building on Sloan Avenue at Chelsea, losing about $142 million on the deal. That's the home of the Sloan Rangers. Ten people, including a Vatican cardinal and two Italian financial brokers, are on trial in the Vatican on charges including embezzlement, fraud, money laundering, and extortion relating to the building. Pope was asked if he believed enough controls were now in place so that similar scandals could not take place again. I believe so, he said. Well, of course, it's based on faith, the whole operation. The Vatican Secretary of State first invested in the building in 2014 with funds from its own sovereign wealth fund managed without external controls. It resisted oversight even from the Secretariat for the Economy, which the Pope instituted in 2014 to oversee all Vatican finances and put a lid on decades of scandals caused by the fragmentation of finances in which different departments in the church exercised control in a fiefdom-like way. Next time, try a fiefdom-like way, won't you? As a result of the botched and embarrassing London deal, the Pope stripped the Secretary of State of control over its own investment funds a couple of years ago. Last month, he instituted a committee to oversee the ethics of all Vatican finances. Before the administration, Vatican money was very messy, unquote. The Pope, he adds the Secretariat for the Economy, is now staffed by expert technical people, quote, who don't fall into the hands of, quote, unquote, benefactors or friends who can make you slip up, unquote, the Pope. He gave the example of priests who had no financial experience being asked to manage the finances of a department, who in good faith sought outside help from friends. Quote, but sometimes the friends were not the blessed Imelda, he said, referring to a 14th century 11-year-old Italian girl who was a symbol of purity. And then the Pope said, so what happened, happened. Yes, it happens. Here's the godly copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Well, I'm sure you know by now that uh, the Boris Johnson story has reached a climax, if not an ending. Uh, the British Prime Minister, who's been dogged for months with a scandal the Brit journalists like to call Partygate, which involved him having appearing at or joining parties 
with uh, food and libations of an alcoholic kind during a period of the COVID thing. That's over now, right? Where um, lockdowns were the rule. And uh, he and his colleagues were not exactly locked down. But the, uh, and as I say, that, that scandal bubbled for months, but it was exacerbated and brought to a boil this week by the story of Chris Pincher, who was named by Johnson to a uh, high post in his government, despite the fact that he had been briefed on reports that Pincher had been involved in groping of um, men in the government. That's not where he groped them. Johnson was quoted as saying at the time, Pincher by name, Pincher by nature. The uh, story became a very big scandal. And uh, this week, I think about 50 members of Johnson's cabinet, cabinet uh, and government resigned as a way of saying, why don't you get out, mate? And um, late in the middle of the week, he did offer his resignation after delivering a somewhat embittered resignation speech. So what happens now to Bojo? Hello, this is the voicemail of former Prime Minister Boris Johnson. I'm busy resigning right now, but I'll have plenty of time to return your call in a few weeks. In the meantime, here's a quite serviceable beep. Boris, are you there screening? It's Don. Some still call me President Trump. That's what I want to talk to you about. The so-called resignation it was a good opening. Good opening move. Actually, a great move. It puts your enemies to sleep. They think you're over. You're gone. You're, they're totally thinking very strongly about who's the next guy or gal. Let's uh, be modern. So you can make your moves without a lot of attention, right? Meanwhile, your friends, and take it from me, you've still got some. Can you believe it? Kevin McCarthy still comes up here to Bedminster, and he can't even play a lick of golf. So your friends are available. This is when you call in those favors I'm sure you've been doing for the last, you know, through the years. You're a smart man. I'm sure you've been keeping track. Now, I don't know your system that well, but I'm sure if things are set up right, you can unresign. I mean, if the Musk guy can back out of a $44 billion deal, right? But the thing is, your guys and gals, let's be modern, got to start talking you back up like yesterday. You know, like if we elect people based on how few mistakes they make, hobos who sleep all day would be the perfect candidates. That's one that Junior came up with when I told him I'm calling you. But this isn't an every man for himself kind of operation and woman, let's be fair. You need somebody who can uh, coordinate all this. Get people on morning TV. I don't know if Morning Joe is seen over there, but you you, you got to have somebody that people watch. I know you didn't prepare the uh, the groundwork by casting nasturtiums at the last election. Maybe you don't need that angle. Junior came up with a great slogan. Somebody stands up in the parliament and says, "Let's make this the House of Common Sense." This thing is still recording, right? 
You must have a golden plan or something. Now, I don't know if you've got uh, proud boys or oath takers or keepers or choosers over there. I know we can certainly send over some young men who don't have court dates coming up who can whip up a red-hot crowd in a New York, (laughs) I guess I should say, in a London minute. They can keep the guards with the furry hats busy while whatever else is going on. But you got a few days to set all that up. Look, all those people in your government who didn't resign yet, they're your people. Before they go get a, a, a job in TV news or uh, lobbying, put them to work for you, Boris. Talking about how unfair all this is. Nobody who's got China and Ukraine and Brisket on their mind can be expected to uh, remember all this party crap. I got to say, I'd have stayed a mile away from some creep named Pincher, but that's like a joke, right? So, okay, listen, even a guy in your position can't be expected to listen to a message longer than the Sermon on the Mint. Boris, check your messages, of which this is one. Get back to me. We'll loop in Junior. We'll fix this. Take it from the Donald. Unresign is the way to go. Okay, bye. And now, totally unrelated, the Apologies of the Week. The British Army has apologized after its Twitter and YouTube accounts were compromised by entities that use them to promote non-fungible tokens, NFTs. British Army Twitter feed hosted content promoting the NFTs. Quote, the anomalies is a collection of special possessed one-ones, unquote. That's according to the Tech Journal Register, according to... Web3 is just going great. The British Army YouTube account was taken over at the same time as the Twitter takedown. The YouTube takeover replaced the legitimate account with fake logos representing or resembling those used by an investment management firm and filled it with more crypto boosterism. Namely, a video that cut an old chat between Elon Musk and Twitter founder Jack Dorsey into a new and misleading narrative. British Army account apologized for the outage. Quote, apologies for the temporary interruption to our feed. We will conduct a full investigation and learn from this incident. Thanks for following us. Normal service will now resume on the British Army feed. The city of Orlando, Florida apologized this week for its Independence Day message that declared the nation was in strife and questioned why people would want to celebrate the holiday in the city's weekly newspaper newsletter. Quote, a lot of people probably don't want to celebrate our nation right now, and we can't blame them, said Orlando's City News. When there's so much division, hate, and unrest, why on earth would you want to have a party celebrating any of it? Unquote. The city apologized the next day, saying it sincerely regrets the message's, quote, negative impact. Quote, we understand these words offended some of our residents, which was not our intent. We value the freedoms we have in this country and are thankful to the men and women who have fought and continue to fight for those. We take pride in celebrating the 4th of July to express our gratitude to those men and women and honor the country we live in. Honoring those fighting men and women, I guess, isn't just for Veterans Day and Memorial Day anymore. Method Man from the Wu-Tang Clan apologizes for having um, been angry 
at the three women of Destiny's Child. He was in a period, he told an interviewer, where he was uh, very uh, bathing in very low self-esteem. Being, being so miserable, and in that moment, I felt like they wasn't treating me the way I should have been treated, he explained. Who am I to think that about these girls? They're here to promote themselves and break records and things of that nature. It was not about me. To this day, man, I don't think I've ever apologized for that. So he added, I apologize to Beyonce, I apologize to Kelly Rowland and Michelle. Y'all did not deserve that at all. He was guilty, apparently, of Destiny's child abuse. Thank you very much. We'll see it. No, more. Dayline Springfield, Illinois. A week after becoming the Republican Party nominee for governor, State Senator Darren Bailey sought this week to pivot from his bungled response, according to the Chicago Tribune, to the mass shooting in Highland Park by declaring more gun controls laws weren't necessary, saying state funds needed to be better directed for mental health services, and trying to cast blame for violence in Illinois and his opponent in the fall election. His efforts to move past the controversy ran into problems of their own as he conflated state gun control laws, misidentified a neighborhood in Chicago where violence occurred over the weekend, and misquoted a Bible verse. For at least the second time, Bailey apologized for comments he made hours after the Highland Park 4th of July killing. In a Facebook post, he prayed for victims, their families, and law enforcement by saying, let's pray for justice to prevail, and then let's move on and let's celebrate the independence of this nation. A couple of days later, he said he was sorry if those comments caused more pain. The thought my initial response could have caused more pain is certainly something that will keep me up at night, and I'm sorry. He referenced a quote from the Bible, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, adding, I need to be better at that, and I ask for your uh, forgiveness. A Christian who has often interspersed his political speeches with Bible verses, he said the quote came from Psalm 112, which is in the Old Testament. It actually is from the New Testament's Colossians 3.12. Hey, if Trump can do it. McLean, Virginia, this week got its first taste of 4th of July fireworks since the pandemic began. No one was around to see them. The McLean Community Center held its annual Independence Day celebration at Langley High School to accommodate a staffing shortage at its fireworks vendor, an issue that affected several of the 4th of July events in the area as well. Instead of watching pyrotechnics light up the night sky, attendees wound up scrambling for cover amid a downpour that ultimately led to a cancellation. In the flurry to keep people and, proper, uh, people and property safe, we neglected to let you, our beloved patrons, know what had happened on our website, said the um, McLean Community Center. We regret it and apologize for the oversight. Another 4th of July fizzle. Lake Worth Beach, Florida. City Hall in Lake Worth Beach apologizing for a dud on the 4th of July. The city of Lake Worth Beach apologizes to all who came to watch the firework firework display at the city's celebration event on Monday night. They agreed with disappointed spectators and explained, did the city fathers, quote, during the night's performance, 
A technical malfunction occurred in the launch system, which caused the performance to be unable to continue. The city has had a contract with fireworks vendor Explosive Touch Enterprises for five years of July 4th celebrations. It says the company also apologized and has agreed to provide a fireworks display at this year's Little Scream Halloween event to compensate. There's a uh, channel in England, a TV channel called Talk TV, just started up. Rupert Murdoch owns it. It's um, it's a bid to be Fox News for Great Britain. That is to say, right-wing commentary and some news. It has now been forced to make a public apology to mental health charity Mind after claiming live on air that it funded the legal fees of asylum seekers, which is a big issue over there as it is over here. That's um, Asylum seekers is who Boris Johnson, former prime minister, was uh, threatening to send to Rwanda to wait out their process of asylum seeking. Presenter Mike Graham on Talk TV said on his show that the charity claimed to fund mental health support while actually paying migrants legal fees. Mind complained that the claims were plain wrong, quotes, and that the charity had never been approached for comment by the channel. Well, Talk TV, as I say, owned by Rupert Murdoch, has now made an on-air apology, admitting it had erred in questioning why various organizations, including Mind, were providing funding to a charity called Migrants Organize. It said, Mind has pointed out to us that the funds it gave to Migrants Organize were given for specific work to support mental health and not for legal fees. It says it's transparent about the work it does and details of the projects it funds are on its website. Unquote. Mind had reported receiving negative messages about their work when the item was originally broadcast. What Talk TV got wrong wasn't that we work with refugees, but how we do it, said Mind. Talk TV added in its apology, quote, We didn't offer Mind an opportunity to respond at the time and are happy to do so now. We're sorry for any confusion caused by the discussion on the show. I wonder if they're more sorry or more happy. Novelist Stephen King and other outspoken liberals were, dis- were duped recently by a headline in the online magazine Salon. That headline falsely claimed Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was requiring teachers and professors to register their political viewpoints with the state. The headline and article were originally published a year ago, meaning the false headline sat dormant for quite some time and made the rounds again this week as King and others shared it. In a fact check for CNN, reporter Daniel Dale reported about DeSantis' new bill. The law does require public colleges and universities in Florida to administer annual surveys on the subject of intellectual freedom and viewpoint diversity. Contrary to the inaccurate Salon headline, the law does not require anybody to register their political views. In a statement, After the story was published, the novelist, Stephen King, who's lived in both Maine and Florida, apologized and called Twitter a learning experience. King is a vocal critic of DeSantis 
on a number of issues. Who isn't? I regret having posted the headline without being more confident the story was correct. Salon is usually more reliable. Twitter is a learning experience. I will try to be better. Unquote. Stephen King. The uh, Canadian internet service provider Rogers suffered a major outage this week that left subscribers unable to use cellular, broadband, internet, and cable services. Aside from that, everything's fine in Canada. ATMs and debit card payments were also affected, leaving Canadian people unable to take out cash or buy stuff in stores. Some were in, un, unable to make 911 emergency calls. Rogers has more than 10 million wireless subscribers in Canada. The snafu cut the nation's connectivity by 25%. The outage went on for several hours, seemingly as much as 11 hours at the time of this news story being written. Rogers tweeted, On behalf of all of us at Rogers, we sincerely apologize to our customers and we will continue to keep you updated as we have more information to share, including when we expect service to be back up. I wonder how they expected people to access the apology if the service wasn't back up yet. And a police chief in Michigan has apologized after photos revealed his department was using targets with images of black men for shooting practice. Jeff King, chief of the Farmington Hills Police Department, said at a city council meeting late last month, the department is conducting a legal review of the matter. King said he takes responsibility for how the training was conducted and apologized to the community, the department, and the city council. He said one of the biggest focuses for training is exposure to people based on certain situations and not what they look like. We have a diverse community, he said. Our community, as well as our department, is diverse, inclusive, and doesn't, that doesn't stop at our training. He said he will share the findings of the review, quote, as soon as possible. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. <laughs>
Well, that's it for this week. More of the show next week, same time on these same radio stations or on your audio device of choice whenever the heck you want it. That's just how we roll at the Le Show Dome. It would be just like the Army Corps of Engineers actually relying on nature a bit. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Hollstead, and to Jenny Lawson for help with today's broadcast and podcast, and this cast and that cast. The email address for this program, a chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, almost for free, except for the fact you have to pay some money. And the uh, playlist of the music heard here on, all on harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter, at the Harry Shearer. Matter of fact, I might just buy Twitter. The show comes in from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Changes Easy Radio Network. So long. From the home of the homeless.